Hello, everyone. Thanks so much for listening in to Founders Unfound. If you're excited about what we're trying to do, please follow us on Twitter, at Founders Unfound, or go to our website, foundersunfound.com, and sign up for our updates. In this episode, I spoke with the founders of New Inc., a startup from my home base here in Seattle. Some things to listen for? How selling chocolate led to tech entrepreneurship. Why one founder almost quit? And some great tips on how to find a technical co-founder. Hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to Founders Unfound, spotlighting the best startups you don't know yet. We bring you stories of exceptional founders from underrepresented backgrounds. This is episode two in our series on founders of African descent. It's March 2019, and I'm your host, Dan Kihanya. Let's get on it. Today, we have Kwame, Claudius, and Real One, founders and CEO of New Inc., a startup that facilitates hotel-grade turnovers for Airbnb vacation rentals. Welcome to the show, guys, and thank you for making the time. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having us. Yeah, definitely happy to be here. All right. Well, why don't we get started with each of you introducing yourselves and uh, let the audience know exactly who you are and what your role is with uh, with uh, with the company, since this is the first time we have multiple founders. Uh, sure. Well, hello, everyone. My name is Kwame. I'm the co-founder and CEO of New. And hey, guys, my name is Claudius. I'm the co-founder and CTO at New. I'm uh, Rowan, the co-founder and COO. Nice. Nice. Okay. Who wants to take it first? Uh, just tell us in a few words, how would you describe exactly what New does? Sure. I'm, I'm more than happy to take it. Uh, so New is an automated hotel style cleaning service for Airbnbs. Uh, what that means is uh, through tech and ops, we route a contracted cleaner direct to the host doorsteps right after the guest checks out and before the next guest checks in. Um, our secret sauce are our backpacks, which contain linens, supplies, and toiletries, prepackaged for each of the host homes. Uh, this removes the cleaner's need to have to wash and dry on site, allowing them to do more jobs in less time, and significantly reduces the host's need to visit their properties in between guest days. Nice, nice. And do you have your own workforce or independent contractors, or do you... Uh, work with other agencies, or how do you how do you get the actual folks to do that do the work? So at its core, New is a dual marketplace. Um, we consider both sides of our customer segment to be, or both sides of the market to be customers. So our cleaners are contractors. Uh, they are licensed, bonded, insured, and background checked, and they come onto the platform mainly because it provides them with the freedom to work when they want to, and not when they have to. Nice, nice. Um, and what's the other side of the marketplace? So the other side would be your traditional Airbnb or vacation rental host. Um, so a lot of our customers are typically the host of a day job that has an ADU, MIL, or just a second home downtown. Um, and we make sure that the job is done in between check-in and check-out times. Nice, nice. Kind of makes a lot of sense. It's it's fascinating that this uh, this didn't exist in the past. But I guess as this uh, uh, this market for the Airbnb 
a market has uh, matured, it makes sense that a service like this would emerge. Maybe real one. Can you tell us a little bit about how how did this idea come about? Where did the origin of this company start? Uh, it's it's a pretty interesting story. Um, so Kwame and I um, we worked at Boeing full time, and we sort of had uh, these side gigs where we would uh, sublease uh, apartments in a downtown area for on Airbnb. And, you know, uh, we did this, we racked up uh, multiple properties over time and we would just come together as, you know, uh, individual business owners and share some of our pain points. And the, the, the recurring theme was uh, cleaning. You know, we were spending so much money on cleaning and, you know, there was, it just, it kept rising and we were just like, what are we going to do about this? And I think I, I talked to Kwame, uh, I was like, Hey Kwame, how about we uh, just pull our resources together and set up a cleaning uh, service to just service our apartments? Um, and he was like, "Oh, that sounds like a great idea." And, you know, I got in my car, I left. I don't know, fifteen minutes or twenty minutes into my drive, Kwame called me. He's like, "Why don't we set up a cleaning business to clean everybody's Airbnb?" And I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Like, it was funny, um, but that's kind of how everything started, and we. We, we began the long journey of trying to um, create a system to uh, clean Airbnbs. Um, Claudius came along um, not too long after with you know all the tech to help us uh, scale uh, to the point that we are today. How, how did you meet these uh, these gentlemen, Claudius? What was that story? Yeah, so that's also a very interesting story. I was kind of reached out to via email by Kwame. He had, had reached out his network, reached out to his network, and um, was kind of just they were looking for a CTO at the time, and so they reached out to their tech network, and my name got thrown in the hat, and so they kind of perused my, I believe, online profile and and liked what they saw and reached out to me. At the time, I was a software engineer at Microsoft and in a good place, but I was also I've always I've also been a, a former startup founder, um, some small startups uh, during my college days where I led a couple of different companies. So I was always interested, I've always been interested in, in going back to startups. So when Kwame came reaching or calling, I was, it really piqued my interest. Um, I was in a place where while I enjoyed my job, I knew um, I wanted to be challenged a little bit more and new startups was the place to, if you ever want challenge, that's, that's where you go really. So I, I decided to sit down with the team and see what uh, they had. Um, this is, wasn't the first time I'd been approached uh, by someone with an idea to come work on, you know, as a technical person, we kind of get those every every other month or so. But this idea seemed very, very interesting. And so I grabbed, uh, was able to grab uh, time and, and drinks with Kwame. And, and we sat down, discussed what they were working on, how the idea kind of came about, problem space. And then we kind of left it at that. I took the information that I knew and went back and just kind of talked to other friends who were in the Airbnb space, renting uh, their properties out and just kind of gauge the, the market to see how big a point, pain point this was for them. After talking to other people who were hosts, I, I saw there was a huge pain point here. And as a startup founder, that's always a, a green light. You want to you make sure you're tackling not just uh, what they call, a, you want to be tackling a, something that's a, that's a painkiller, um, pain, uh, not a vitamin, but a painkiller. And so talked to the guys. I ended up interviewing with, with the advising team. And after the interviews were over, it seemed like everybody was on the same page that this was going to be a good fit. And um, it's gone beyond that. Like I, I consider these guys uh, some of my best friends in terms of what we're working together on. And, and so that friendship formed very quickly and, and it's just kind of grown from there. 
So Kwame, maybe you can tell us a little bit about how, what was your process and experience with finding a technical co-founder? I know a lot of people in our audience are non-technical founders who are out there trying to find somebody as a co-founder who could be that technical complement, and it's not an easy process. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about how you went about it. Sure. Uh, more than happy to, Dan. So uh, towards the end of 2017, the company had been in a bit of a dark patch, uh, mainly because we didn't get into a lot of accelerators that we thought we were going to get into. We didn't win contests that we thought we were going to win. And um, our original CTO was a great friend of ours, had uh, quit. And so uh, while, we, while Rwanda and I were kind of left lost uh, trying to figure out what's the next move and how we can kind of get there, uh, we had gotten some great advice from Michael Siebel who had uh, talked to us because I had actually met him at Afrotech earlier that year and challenged his assertion as to why we didn't get in the YC because we had met all the qualifications that he had outlined to other founders on the stage. Michael runs uh, Y Combinator. Yes. Uh, and so <laughs> it was a bit cheeky to say the least, but uh, he gave us some really good advice in the process. And so when we shared with him that, you know, our, our co-founder had quit, uh, he told us to find someone that we knew, uh, loved, and trusted in that order that could write code every day. Um, and that led to us extending an opportunity to a good portion of our network, trying to figure out who we worked with in the past between Rowan and I that had the chops to be able to take it to the next level um, and learning from our mistakes uh, in the past of bringing on someone that was more complete as a technical founder. And ironically, um, one person that we had interviewed or I had interviewed that was a friend of mine um, had strongly recommended Claudius because she had worked with him in the past. And we found him by doing a search and just connecting the dots on LinkedIn and his website and uh, a website called like uh, Co-Founders Lab. So it was, it was there that once we did connect with him, we kind of thought it was a no-brainer and we really wanted to move forward. We achieved success because we also had great advice, but what helped uh, with this process is that, I, you know, I do have a degree in computer engineering. I, I take more of a semi-technical role on new. Um, Rwan, Rwan is a non-technical founder, while Claudius is uh, considerably more technically diverse than I am. And he owns all the technical stack that drives and makes new what new is. Um, but other ways in which we were able to achieve success is that we had a technical advisor on our advisory board who was also able to best evaluate his skill set as well as the skill set of other candidates to best determine who would be the best fit for the company, which is something I would recommend to anyone trying to bring another founder into the into their team. Nice. Yeah, it's a strong lesson I think that most of us in uh, in entrepreneurship find is that network, the daisy chain of you know, getting somebody who's willing to listen to your idea, give you ideas, but also extend your network uh, and make those those uh, qualified introductions to people who can be investors, who can be employees, can be co-founders. Um, and you're just echoing that that same uh, that same sentiment. So that's great. Can you talk a little bit about what the status is or what the progress is of the company at this point? Yeah. So. Um... 
Inu has, uh, we've, we've gone through um, a lot of phases, um, partly because, um, first of all, we, we, we came from Bo the Boeing company, uh, no idea about anything that has to do with cleaning. So um, everything and every day has been, <laughs> you, you, you have no idea. Every day has been uh, a learning process for us. And we've like uh, slowly but steadily uh, just filled out different, uh, roles and responsibilities uh, within the company. Well, what started off as a cleaning company for Airbnbs uh, sort of transformed uh, into a marketplace that connects Airbnb hosts with um, uh, cleaning companies. Uh, right now, um, majority of our time is uh, spent working on building uh, an infrastructure that allows us to rapidly scale. Um, so we, we can bring on a lot of people uh, into our company, um, but we don't have uh, currently the infrastructure to be able to accept all the people that want to take on our service. So we're, we're currently building out that foundation and infrastructure so that we can turn on the faucet and accept all the people that would like our services. Are you based in one city or, uh, or one region or do you have uh, wider coverage than that at this point or? So we're, we're currently in Seattle, uh, Partly because, you know, um, we just wanted to sort of learn everything we need to learn about uh, this space that we're entering in so that we can just sort of rapidly enter other cities. But our next city that we plan to enter uh, potentially is uh, Portland. Yeah, and I wanted to quickly add on to that. Um, we're, we're not just in Seattle in the sense that, like, we're in one or two properties. We're, we've been in over, um, over 100 homes in Seattle, and so have been operating for a good bit of time. Um, there's been a crazy growth that I would say, um, crazy positive growth in terms of the business and um, the amount of people we can serve. But to Rowan's point, yeah, we're trying to rapidly build out this technology so we can start meeting the more needs of our customers on both sides of the platform, provide work for the cleaners as well as the convenience and um, time savings for our hosts. Strategically, it makes the most sense to continue to operate in this market because as Rwan had already identified, we're still ironing out kinks within the operations and its process. And it doesn't make sense to rapidly expand or grow when you have holes within your bucket. Um, so we want to kind of fix as many of the holes as possible before we start looking at uh, multiple market entry. We have a pretty good idea in terms of when we'd feel confident being able to transcend Seattle makes a lot of sense. Making the recipe work is definitely important. A lot, of, a lot of startups sometimes think about or feel pressure about growth uh, as the be all and end all um, before they're ready, before that market fit is there, and um, can can really uh, pay a price for it later down the road. Well, just as a as a sense of background, so you you all have sort of. Um, uh, talked a little bit about sort of coming from corporations and having kind of a side hustle. And then that sort of led you into, into the startup world, kind of diving in. Did any of you think about being an entrepreneur earlier in life? So for me, uh, I would say it started uh, very early for me. Uh, special shout out to my mother. She was, uh, well, she is the ultimate uh, entrepreneur. Uh, I grew up in a house where um, she would have ideas almost every week. Uh, and from as early as I can remember, I would say seven, eight, 
Uh, she would bring me down and, you know, just tell me about things that she's working on. And we would sort of flesh out these ideas together. I, I witnessed her, um, you know, design chairs uh, and furniture overseas, import them into uh, my country, Nigeria, where I grew up, um, sell them out of our garage. Um, you know, she had a nail salon. She she did all anything you can think of. Uh, she pretty much did. And I was sort of on the uh passenger seat with her, uh, whether it's helping with email support or anything I could possibly lay my hands on. So I kind of grew up in that environment and I just sort of always operated in that manner. I, you know, I, I sold, uh, you know, stuff in high school. Like, uh, I remember I used to sell noodles, uh, cause I went to boarding school and, um, you couldn't have, uh, you couldn't have snacks on you, but I would, I was able to get a large amount into on campus and sell to pretty much the whole school, among other things. Took that with me into college. Uh, I had a ton of projects while I was in college. So I, I sort of always knew that, you know, I was always going to be an entrepreneur. Uh, graduating from college and um, going into Boeing was sort of like a, a stabilizer, uh, pretty much like something to hold me till, you know, my next idea. When I actually met Kwame, I was working on another project and Kwame sort of convinced slash strong-armed me. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, here we are today. That's great. That's great. How about you, Kwame? So my entrepreneurial journey actually started really early as well. Like Rowan, um, who was able to embody entrepreneurial entrepreneurship through his mother, mine's resonated with my dad. My father, the way he built things as an entrepreneur – uh, was never very technical. It, it's kind of like, uh, I almost want to say like boomer entrepreneurship in a sense to where it had to have a tangible product. My dad was the type of guy to um, go, oh, you know what? Okay, there's the Millions Man March. Uh, how do I glorify this event in a way to where people would want to uh, take something back? Oh, why don't I make magnets? Why don't I make air fresheners? Why can't I take um, certain logos and put it on there. Why can't I get that mass produced and sell it and push it? So like that's, those are certain things that I learned from my dad, more specifically the drive and the ambition to take an idea from your head and put it into production and make it real. But personally, I've always been the type of person that, you know, pushed myself to achieve whatever I could put my mind to. When I was younger, I really wanted a computer. Uh, I really, really wanted my uh, a computer and my first machine. Uh, I actually got by selling chocolate. Like I actually don't like chocolate. I hate chocolate, so it was an in, an intentional. It was definitely an intentional purchase. Uh, definitely didn't want to uh, feed into my own supply, so to speak. But uh, a lot of my friends from high school will actually resonate this. I, I pushed chocolate very heavily. Uh, and would do things like say that I was supporting the United Negro Computer Fund in order, in order to, um, in order to get uh, what I wanted. And actually, I, within a very short period of time, I was able to get my first computer just by selling chocolate bars. And that stemmed in the college, which led to a couple of really good projects with some very, very amazing people, like lifetime friends uh, that I would phenomenally. Uh, diverse and are probably going to rock the industry because whatever companies inherited these guys are very lucky to have them and stumbled into new. Like I, I never, ever, ever thought that I would be applying 
my brain towards the logistics involved with scrubbing toilets. And if you had asked me that four or five years ago, I would think you're crazy. But that's really just how this industry is. How about you, Gladys? You've talked about working on other other projects. Um, did you have a sense of wanting to be a startup person for a while, or where did it sort of where did that spark come for for you? Yeah, it's funny to, to hear the other guys' uh, kind of upbringing story around entrepreneurship too, because uh, I mean, I think like everyone these days, I, I kind of have my own. Uh, startup story from from a very early age, but I remember one story specifically. Um, what kind of just I go back to in terms of thinking about why I'm on this path. But at our middle school, um, we would always have to sell these. I'm sure you guys did them too, but we would always have to sell these coupon books for raising uh, money or funds for trips like Washington D.C. things like that. And so we did that from I believe sixth grade all the way up to eighth grade. So as a kid, we would always sell these coupon books, and so. And they, they only happened once a year. They would do the fundraising aspect. We would sell these coupon books around the neighborhood. And I had the bright idea to realize that there's a long period of time where people in our neighborhood don't get a chance to buy these coupon books. So I enlisted my younger siblings and we essentially built our own little uh, coupon booking company where all, literally all we did was uh, went online and we found coupons from online stores uh, that were local to the area. And we would just print them out literally on printing paper and we go around and hustle and sell these these little books. It was definitely a good startup experience. And, and from there, I went on to university where I co-founded my, my first official startup, I would say, that was called Fundstarter. Um, we were the Kickstarter for nonprofits was our tagline. Um, right around the time Kickstarter was becoming a thing, a household concept. Um, essentially, we were building a crowdfunding platform focused on nonprofit and giving work. And then that later led on to starting another company called App Kitchen, which was just a mobile-first dev shop for uh, local businesses in the Columbus, Ohio region, where I went to uh, university. Nice. Great stories. Yeah, I, I, uh, I have a contention that no matter who, where the journey begins, there's something, something that lies within, within us who, those of us who become entrepreneurs, that just needs that catalyst, that spark, that thing to bring it out of dormancy. Uh, I'll open this question up to anybody uh, or uh, any of you. What's a surprise that uh, you didn't expect when you started this journey that has kind of either shocked you or something you didn't expect or something where the opposite of what you expected happened? How about you, Claudius? Yeah, I was going to say I can jump on that if, if everyone is uh, still thinking on that. But I think for me, the biggest prize came in our efforts of fundraising. This is a challenge that I know a lot of startups, and I'm sure we'll, ta we'll tackle the, the bigger subject of fundraising uh, later on in, in the discussion. But for me, that was the biggest surprise and challenge that we've had to kind of uh, face regarding believing that we have a valued service and customers are currently paying us for it. I believe probably mentioned we're, we're a slow bootstrap company and we just took first investment end of December. So we, we've always been for the past two and a half years, it was a, pretty much an all bootstrap company and, and just kind of living off the revenues as well as some grant money and things like that, of course. But we faced a lot of challenges in our recent bouts of, of trying to fundraise that I have some interesting thoughts on that I believe partly, and, and Daniel and I talked about this, um, that's how we kind of met actually, but I believe it's partly part of the region, but I would say that's been the biggest surprise so far. Um, how about you, Kwame, a real one? What about big surprise for you guys? Yeah, chiming in on the fundraising bit, I definitely can say that that was all 
there were all things that I can chop a lot of it now to us being first time founders and really just having a strong fundraising strategy, which to tell you the truth at the very beginning, we didn't, it was pretty much like me going at anyone that said that they were investor or had money. And it started evolving to realizing who are the people that best resonated with us and then getting the feedback uh, from them to realize that, you know, we're not necessarily at that point. Actually, Siebel gave an incredible analogy about fundraising, um, ironically, in another Afrotech panel. Uh, and he had said that the, the biggest mistake that most founders make is that they fundraise way, way too early and they utilize the success of others to uh, determine how they should best proceed. Like he gave the example of a boss, like imagine you're playing a video game and the boss is a level 20 and you are the founder that um, quit your job, has product in development, um, might have a paying customer, might not, but you're, you're a little bit past the proof of concept phase. He said, you're more likely than not a level 10. And there are a lot of founders that are level 10 that'll fight that level 20 boss a hundred times and only win once. And because they defeated the boss once, they've achieved success. Then they'll tell others they beat the boss and because they beat the boss and they achieve success, others will believe that that's the best way to do it. Then there are, there are others that will level up, they'll practice, they'll train, they'll get themselves to a point to where they're level 20. And when they fight that boss, there's a chance that they can win, but there's a chance that they can lose. There's 50-50 either way. And so some of those founders will get to that point, to the point in which they can beat the boss, but there's also a chance that they can lose. And then there's more time, more energy, and mistakes made. And the biggest thing that Y Combinator at least does is they provide the founders with leverage. And so they try to bring on a lot of founders that are at that level 20 and boost them to being a level 30. And that way, if you're level 30, regardless of how you fight at any point in time, you're always going to win. It's almost guaranteed. And so my lesson learned, especially looking back on it, was I don't think we honestly were at a level 30. Uh, I think that at our, at our best point in time, we were at a level 20. We had a lot of things going for us and we had a lot of momentum behind us, but we lost and that happens. And I think uh, being prepared for the worst case scenario and having better contingencies really helps that surprise factor. Um, but me personally, the biggest surprise that I've actually had on the company is really how fragmented the cleaning industry is. Um, it's almost all cleaners operate in this weird dystopian world where they service people that expect them to operate in a sense of perfection. Most of their customers have zero sense of empathy for them. And they're almost unable to completely humanize them because they're from two completely different dichotomies. And that's a part of the unique challenge that we face. So we're hoping to one day be able to achieve a world where we can at least foster the belief that this can be a sexy job. Like the same way that Uber was able to make taxi driving convenient through the freedom of work, we believe that able-bodied people that have strong technical skills when it comes to being able to understand and introduce strong elements of cadence can meet expectations of rather particular clients within an environment that's most catered and suited for them. So that's really the problem that we're solving. And that's what was most surprising to me.
Nice. Nice. Yeah. It's a, it's a really interesting uh, industry from that perspective where, like you said, it's almost like if you do a good job, that's expected. And if you do a bad job, you're vilified for it. So you're, you know, there's a high degree of, or um, a high sensitivity and lack of, uh, of uh, sort of acceptance of uh, less than perfect. Um, So I can imagine that that's an interesting dynamic um, and to try and reintroduce dignity back there, like you said, and make it much more of a interesting opportunity for people like, uh, I like like the Uber analogy where um, it became more of a, uh, I guess it it, it leveled up as you use that term, the desire to take on a role like that. Since since we've dug into it, why don't we talk a little bit about uh, the fundraising process? uh, maybe you guys can tell me a little bit about uh, have you applied to a bunch of accelerators and have you had official rounds that you've pursued or have you done mostly angel or, or informal fundraising? What, what's been, um, I know you said that bootstrapping has been the, the main uh, funding mode uh, for most of the company's existence, but throughout the, uh, the time, what kind of fundraising strategies or approaches have you done and um, uh, where have you ended up uh, at this point? So at the very beginning, um, as I indicated, there was a very strong shotgun approach. Um, anyone that we that was considered to be an investor, I was trying to sit down, uh, schedule a meeting, or speak with. Most of whom were people that were introducing me to other people. But it started as early as us competing in the Seattle Angel Conference. Um, we applied to Techstars as well that year. We made it to a second round interview, but didn't get in. Um, we also applied to YC, and that was the first time actually when I, I called out Siebel um, in the crowd of Afrotech, but we didn't get an interview that time either. Um, we've Since then, we've actually applied to Techstars twice, YC three times. Um, with Techstars, the second time we didn't make it past like, uh, the first interview, like with the first time we made it past application interview and made it the final round. But the second time we didn't make it past the first one with, with YC the second time around or third time around second time, we didn't get an interview either third time we did get an interview. Um, and we interviewed once and, uh, was selected for a second interview, but they ended up deciding to pass on us. Um, in terms of the venture funding, I actually haven't formally pitched to any VC in Seattle, um, mainly just from, a lot of it was just from advice from some of our advisory board. But the reason why was that we kind of just felt as if we were relatively too early. And so we've had sitting conversations with a lot of VCs to kind of feel them out, most of whom were interested in the problem that we're solving, but kind of wanted to get us to the point to where we could scale at the venture level within an exponential point in time or excuse me, we can scale exponentially within a relatively short period of time. They weren't vibing us trying to go for profitability within market. Um, It was almost counterintuitive, at least to us, where we use profitability as the best way to define success. Um, Because if we can keep the lights on and sustainably grow, then everything works out. But a lot of VCs were really, really turned off by that concept because they just thought that we weren't going to grow at an aggressively rate. With angels, we had some some major success there. A lot of angels were really interested in what we were building, 
um, and the problem that we were solving. And in many ways, it was directly relatable, or at least easy to comprehend and understand. But the biggest, you know, takeaway from there was that many angels kind of, or many investors in general, kind of operate in a sense of a herd mentality. So uh, coming at the end of 2018, we had won $50,000 through the FedEx scale up challenge. And after that, like it kind of got blasted everywhere. And so a lot of different people were interested in talking to us, many of whom are still on our mailing list to this day, uh, but only one person actually pulled the trigger when it came to writing the check. I think to uh, put it more succinctly in terms of the fundraising timeline, um, news has been bootstrapped up until about December 2018. Um, but then during or made through September, November timeframe, um, we tried our hand at fundraising a little bit more, got our feet wet and understand, understood the process a lot better. Definitely lots of learning that came from that. Um, but yeah, we received our first check um, from Rudy uh, as of December 2018. Well, congratulations on that. That's nice. Um, well, you definitely have the persistence for sure, um, pursuing these, uh, these accelerator programs. Um, it, uh, it's certainly not easy. Um, and the thing about fundraising is that it's this necessary thing at some point, um, if you're doing a, uh, scalable startup that has a technical aspect to it, where it's, you know, in the consideration set for venture or for technical angel funding. Um, but it's sort of counter to progress in the business, right? You need to focus on keeping the operations going and, and, uh, making sure that the business is hitting its metrics and so forth. And so whether it's, you know, putting together applications or doing interviews for accelerators or you're, uh, meeting with investors or meeting with people who can introduce you to investors, it's almost like a, a separate parallel activity that can sometimes be all consuming for sure. Let me switch gears a little bit and ask a little bit about um, how, how big is the company at this point? How many people do you have? So we recently just hired some uh, operations people, uh, but in terms of our core team, um, so we have, I'm just going to do the numbers while, while we're here, three co-founders, two engineers, I believe two people on the operations side and another three on the um, operations team that is in Seattle. Correct me if I'm wrong there, Kwame. No, you, you hit it right on the head. Uh, yeah, we have, as Claudius, as Claudius identified, two engineers overseas in Nigeria, two, uh, they're kind of taking operations, but more like business analyst roles overseas as well. And then here we have, we have Shea leading sales, Taylor, Taylor on a, a bit of an in-between legal and in-house counsel, and Carrie is our city manager. And also the name drop the guys overseas because we didn't forget you guys. Thanks, Sly. <laughs> Thank, uh, the two engineers would be <laughs> Sly and Bernard, uh, some of our OGs. They've been actually with the company. Uh, Bernard, actually, I think he's coming up. He's got to be getting close to a year now. And uh, then Blessing and Hafiz, who were also relatively recent additions to the team. Yeah, you're still pretty lean, and uh, those first few uh, people are so important. And maybe, uh, have you thought about it? I know it's still early, but have you thought about or uh, anything intentional about culture and how you're trying to build the company uh, strategically along those lines? That's actually on our forefront all the time. 
Um, Rowan will ping me a lot about company culture. One of the things that we uniquely face as a challenge is that roughly half of the team is here and the other half of the team is overseas. And we're also dealing with three different time zones. So it makes things uniquely challenging for us to figure out how we as one company can thrive and you know come together. So interestingly enough, I'm actually currently reading The Culture Code. I also have talked to a lot of different founders uh, that have led overseas teams or worked with overseas teams in terms of what they've done to help really foster alignment and build a really solid company culture. But I've yet to implement anything uh, to date, and we as a team are still brainstorming on different ways that we can, you know, introduce some really, really cool things to make sure everyone can get involved. Well, it's great that you're being intentional about it, because um, the it's one of those things, like they say, you 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 will have a culture. Either you'll be intentional about it, or it will form on its own without you being intentional. So, it's good that uh, you're thinking about it. And I know what you mean about the time zones. That can be that can be challenging um for sure real one uh maybe you can tell me uh our audience always likes to hear uh some of the stories uh, what would you characterize as your darkest hour so far with uh new so uh mostly uh as a result of um our inability to fundraise uh fingers crossed that'll change uh very soon uh i think uh just getting to a point where i felt like um i wanted to quit uh, new, uh, because, you know, we, we had sort of put our all into it for so long and just getting so many no's after a while, it starts to get to you. Uh, I remember I, I called up the guys, um, and I, you know, I got them on the phone and I was like, Hey, I'm, I'm leaving new guys. And Claudius actually thought it was a prank. They're like, yeah, you're, you're kidding, Rowan. And I was like, no, nah, I'm serious. Um, we sort of talked about it over and, I sort of looked at how far we've come and it was more like, honestly, we can only go up from here. So Rowan, whatever you need to do to, to mentally bring yourself back to where you need to be, uh, you need to do that. So I just, I just sort of figured out a way to tough it out and I haven't regretted that decision ever since. Wow. That's great. Thanks for so much for sharing that. Many, many entrepreneurs go through a similar time for sure. Yeah. And also, also, I, I just wanted to add on top of that, uh, Kwame and Claudius were like super supportive. I think, I think that was also another reason why I felt like I, you know, we had built something, uh, so special. I, I didn't feel like I should, you know, leave what we built. So they were, they were super supportive about it. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting journey. I mean, many, many people think, who are outside of the startup ecosystem, they, they see sort of the, the sexy part of it or the, you know, some of the success stories, so to speak. Um, but it's a hard, lonely journey, particularly when you're early and nobody knows what you're trying to do. You have to explain it to everybody from a potential investor to your grandmother. And because it's new, because you're solving a problem in a different way that nobody else has ever done, you're constantly searching for ways to explain it with analogies, and it uh, there's a lot of a lot of cognitive overload sometimes. Not to mention the emotional stress of sometimes that unknown can be attractive because you think I'm going to innovate and figure it out, and sometimes it can be 
stressful because you feel like, okay, I've gotten all these no's. Where's that yes? <laughs> is, it, is, is it the next uh, conversation or is it 40 down the road, right? And you don't know. So, but, you know, I appreciate you sharing that story because that's real. And a lot of, a lot of, a lot of entrepreneurs experience that. I wanted to say, um, we, we definitely recognize one self-sacrifice, like that should be um, passed. And I think you mentioned that we're very um, understanding. Um, I, I think as advice to other founders with, with teams, you got to definitely try to see things from other people's point of views and be empathetic to their situations. It's really one of those things that goes a long way and having a, a very functional team. Everyone can try to just see things from your other co-founders point of views and the challenges they're going through currently and what they've got to be preparing for, things like that. It's a it's quite a journey and I appreciate uh, and honor the resilience that uh, all of you have shown in, as the new team. One of the things I like to try and probe a little bit is as black founders, are there any specific mentors, resources, organizations, even events or experiences that have been in, important in helping you to move forward specifically as an underrepresented founder? Uh, one of the things we want to leave our audience, which includes uh, aspiring entrepreneurs from underrepresented backgrounds with, is where can they go? Where can they find that help uh, or assistance or guidance um, for them as unique founders? Did you, did, uh, I know uh, Kwame, you mentioned Afrotech and, and folks like Michael Siebel. Is there, are there other organizations or entities or things that have helped you along the way? Like new wouldn't be here without, uh, we're, we're definitely standing on the um, shoulders of, those in the past, and as well as those who've lifted us up, um, new would not be here without um, a lot of help from different organizations and um, publications. It, within Seattle, GeekWire has been, um, John Cook is a really great friend of ours, and GeekWire has really been great in covering new and new developments and progress that we've made. We've also been covered by Black Enterprise, well, Kwame specifically, for winning National Black MBA's pitch competition, which he did a great job uh, at. On top of that, we mentioned Afrotech. Afrotech was a great experience. We all got the chance to participate uh, this last event, and um, we're looking forward to going back again and hopefully uh, being a, a much stronger position and maybe even looking to uh, be on the hiring side of things next time. On top of that, uh, we're currently in the running for FedEx. FedEx is a small business grant competition, and so uh, we want to give a shout out to FedEx as well. We're hoping that uh, there's a lot of good that comes out of, out of this opportunity, but um, regardless, we're happy and, and excited for the coverage and um, the ability to kind of show what news about. Uh, and also to give a special shout out, uh, all of our advisors, both current and past, including like Wasam Tabara, uh, Ken Kranzler, and uh, currently Chris Mandarino have been fundamental and instrumental in helping build the news brand and success. Um, special shout outs also go to uh informal advisors like there have been a couple of guys that have just really offered us help um from the bottom of their hearts with no like nothing on the cap table like including people like michael siebel uh sledge smith oh yeah davaris uh davaris brown from floodgate academy as well as arif or gersell and talking about building a community arif is actually within the city of seattle he opened uh, he opened a co-working space dedicated 
for the black and brown called the union and it's on uh third avenue in between third and second yeah the union is uh is a really cool space very cool space so definitely i would echo that so as we uh get ready to wind down how about each one of you tell me if you had the time machine and you can go back and talk to the pre-founding of new version of yourself, what's the one piece of advice you would give yourself or each other, I guess, since you're a founding team? How about you, Rowan? Yeah, so I would, I would tell myself to, um, I think, just expect chaos every day. So like when you when you go into work every day, just actually look for chaos and embrace it. Uh, don't be blindsided by chaos because it's inevitable. When you're building something new, you're bound to uh, face chaos. Just embrace it and you'll be fine. Yeah, so this is advice that I actually did. So I'm, I'm happy that I actually did it, but I will give it out to other entrepreneurs. Definitely start a hustle that can start generating you some passive income. Of course, it starts off as active because there's no true thing as passive income, but um, you need something that can help you weather the storm when your startup or your company is really not paying out, to, to, to say the least. How about you, Kwame? Uh, for me, it's definitely uh, making sure that you plan well and then not only having a plan A, but a plan B, C, D, E, and F when it comes to making sure that you can keep the lights on. Uh, be prepared for the worst case scenario to happen because more likely than not, it probably will. Life still continues, even though your journey as a founder requires you to be incredibly focused and diligent with what you're doing. Uh, make sure that you're paying attention to those closest to you so that way it doesn't fall behind. And um, I think Claudius and Rwan kind of really resonated on the financial aspects as well. But one thing I want to touch on is that uh, you, as a founder, many times you will be in a position to where you're a firefighter. Uh, you'll see a, a forest that's on fire and you're kind of left with a small extinguisher. And you're going to see the fires happening and knowing that you know you have the capability to put them out, but there's only one you and one extinguisher. So you're going to have to be comfortable getting burnt in some ways to prosper in others. So choose wisely which fires you put out. Great advice. Great advice all the way around. Well, this has been uh, such a great uh, time together. Thanks so much, gentlemen. Uh, why don't you tell the audience where they can find out more about New and if you have anything on social media or anything coming up in terms of where you can be seen or events or contests or anything you want to share with the audience, why don't you let us know? Well, uh, feel free to check us out on uh, newqueens.com, spelled N as in Nancy, E as in elephant, U as an umbrella, the word queens, all one word, dot com. Nice. Well, thanks again, gentlemen. Uh, really appreciate it. Great conversations. And uh, definitely wish New all the best. You've been listening to Founders Unfound, where we highlight underrepresented founders of exceptional startups. Thanks, everybody, and have a great day. <laughs>